now the challenge over the last 15 years is to be opening up and how do people outside of the sector understand how their innovation, whether it be around supporting vulnerable consumers, AI or asset management, how do they bring it to the industry and who do you talk to? One of the biggest challenges for innovators is talking to the right people. And so our job is to actually help them navigate and get them to the right people in our community. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Denise Massey, Managing Director of EIC, a platform where great businesses, big and small, can innovate together to create a safe, affordable, and decarbonized energy system. She shares the first thing a CEO needs to do in developing an effective purpose and describes the role their values played in building the organization. Denise, you're the managing director at something called the Energy Innovation Center. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could tell us both a bit about yourself, but also about the EIC. My name is Denise Massey, and I joined the energy sector 15 years ago to set up the Energy Innovation Center. Prior to joining the energy sector, I'd worked for 20 years across social care and health and public service. And it was an extremely exciting time because services were being transformed. We were developing social care markets and we were introducing commercial practice into the public sector. So introducing unit costs to social workers, objectives and outcome measures. But at the same time, we were creating a mixed economy of care. We used to call it domiciliary care, home care personalised budgets that we know now and to be fair the social care market and the health market as we know it now so it was a very exciting time and all changed and then having done that for 20 years I wanted a change because I wanted to I thought work for a smaller business would be different than working in a big corporate so I was introduced by a friend to the energy sector and to a company that had this idea of the Energy Innovation Centre Now, the EIC, as it's known, was born out of necessity, really. What had happened is after the energy industry was privatised, what the industry saw was a huge reduction in the investment in innovation and very difficult for small businesses to connect with the larger companies to bring forward their ideas. And so that was the premise of the EIC, really, was to create a platform by which small businesses could work with big business. So that's what we have today. So 15 years on, we have a partnership. So we're a not-for-profit organisation. It is a partnership, and the partnership is between big energy companies, uh, network businesses, transmission and distribution in the UK, with uh, smaller innovators. So we have an innovation community, which is dynamic, and it's always changing. So, for instance, we have seen a huge growth in the last 18 months in machine learning companies and companies operating in AI. And those companies, there's about 9,500 companies, 25% of which are global. That innovation community is for the industry is an innovation capability. So we say don't look at them as individual businesses. Look at it as a huge pool of talent. So the industry should 
set that talent and that talent pool of innovation to work really on the challenges that they face. And we are then the platform that facilitates the working together between the big and small businesses. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, when people say platform, I sort of automatically assume some kind of software platform. Is that what you mean? Do I go to a portal and put in some details? or you know, How does it actually work? It's remarkable, really, because we are actually a relationship-based business. So we're not transactional because we recognize that business has to be done through people. So we would say it is a platform. So it's a digital platform that innovators can engage through. It facilitates really the relationship that we are building with them. What I take out of that is the platforms there, almost like the introduction, but then stuff's supposed to happen off the platform that carries on. Yeah, that's exactly it. Just to kind of get a sense of size, you've talked about 9,000 or so companies in the sort of innovation community. How big's the organization itself? So the EIC, we are uh, 20 people and we have associates. So we've got some great talented people who've worked in the industry who work as associates with us so we can draw down their skills. And it is incredible what a small team of like-minded people that the change that we can deliver, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You may have sort of already said it in your description, but just to kind of focus in on for a minute, what's the purpose of the EIC? So the reason we're here is because what we want to do is we want to improve the quality of people's lives. And our mission is, is this by securing safe, affordable and decarbonized future. And our role in that really is to discover, develop and deploy innovation because that's what will support the enablement of this great future. And what we say is our mission is to create an environment where great businesses, big and small, can innovate together. That sounds like that's not the first time you've said those words. They're carefully thought through and we get the sense that the initiative, the idea, the need almost preceded the organisation. But how did you get to those words you've just worked through? Was that all written down before they even hired you? Was that something you developed a couple of years ago? When did all this happen and how did it happen? So you're right. Our vision and our mission have been crafted and refined over years, but the essence of them is the same, actually. So where it came from, um, when I worked in social services and health, it was really easy for me to see where I went to work every day. It was very easy because if I worked hard, then people had better services, so therefore they had a better quality of life. So the connection for me and what I was doing, what it was delivering, was really clear. I wanted to work in a smaller organisation where we could create a really positive work environment that met everybody's individual need, but also whatever the business needs would be. My personal driver is making a difference. So when I could connect what we were doing with actually changing the world and improving people's lives that purpose is almost a continuation of where I came from you know for that's what we're doing in social services so once I could connect uh, my work and what we were doing to improving the quality of people's lives that just made building everything easier and then start working backwards and say so what does that mean in energy so that actually means people are worried about security Um, and we see that today don't we with the cost of living we're doing this 15 years ago so that affordable and safe and being right for the future has been 
it's a basic human need, really. And so that's really why the vision of the EIC has never changed. We might have changed the wording, but actually what drives us is still the same. Yeah. And as far as the wording, I don't want to obsess about it, but did you write those words or was there a group that got together to do it? Did you bring in a marketing or a comms agency? No, no. The EIC was a startup business. So I started the business up uh, 15 years ago with the help of many amazing people. So uh, never alone. Obviously, because we were a startup, people were running fast and we didn't have policies and procedures and staff handbooks and all of those things in place. But Probably when we maybe got about two or three or four people in the business, we then sat down together and said, so, you know, what were our values? What was important to us? Because we had to be clear when the chips are down, what are we focused on? And we always used to say, I still say, if in doubt when you're making a decision, just do the right thing. Do whatever you think is the right thing, because that will propel us forward. And to be honest, Belvin, it's worked. It's worked about people doing the right thing. Because people have got to be true to themselves and then true to the business. It does tend to attract people with similar values. So it almost attracts and repels in equal measure. You know, and as long as it's aligned, then, yeah, we tend to get positive action out of that. Mm -hmm. You talked about, to some extent, the statement attracting and repelling. Is that mostly sort of people in terms of whether they want to come work for you as, as an employee or whether, you know, they want to be part of the network? Where do you see that showing up? I suppose it's not in the statement. So it comes from the purpose of the organization in doing the right thing and values. Because we're a small business, it's really important that we get the right fit. It's not just a skills fit that's required. It's then a skills and a values fit. Sometimes if people's values tend not to fit, they don't fit with the purpose. That's why it attracts and repels in equal measure. So people would think it's a bit woolly and a bit soft. But it belies the fact that actually to continue to deliver this, you have to be a really commercially sharp business. So there's nothing woolly about running a business. So all those imperatives still remain. And if we can align the business purpose with the team purpose and the individual need, what we get is far greater uh, alignment of will, productivity, greater trust within the business. Yeah. And you've obviously done a lot of things. Are there one or two sort of standout things that have come out of the relationships and the network and, you know, all the work that you've been doing? So we are a partnership. So the EIC is a partnership. And so this whole purpose was then brought into by an advisory board of colleagues from the networks from industry. And so they guide, obviously, the work that we do, as do the innovators. And what was really interesting is when we first started 15 years ago, the industry wasn't really talking about customer, and it really wasn't talking about partnership. And what has happened over that 15 years is how our working together has really evolved to see great collaboration and commitment and leaps of faith <laughs> that are historically risk-averse companies taking great strides to change how they operate to work in collaboration with each other to be far more open and transparent now we have a long way to go a long long way to go still we're never perfect but this whole ethos of how we work together and that collaboration and transparency and that positive intent has had a great impact really i'd say on the industry and how it works could you point to a specific 
thing that's come out of that collaboration and openness? One of the great things we've done is we have been working with small company that was a spin out from one of the universities and it was a particular technology very very complex quite in depth huge amounts of chemistry and physics that went into it from the small company but small company doesn't have the insight knowledge to understand how the industry works to then know how to apply that and what we saw was a lot of support and mentoring by the network businesses to enable that smaller business to develop the product Now, that product is now in the process of being deployed. It will save one of the network businesses many million pounds a year, and it has extremely positive environmental benefits as well. So it's a really good news story that that partnership of working together has delivered some great outputs. That's that's just one really good example. And what does that technology do? So it enables self-healing cables, So what a lot of the underground cables have, oil insulators. Basically, they developed a coagulant, really, that you put into cables and it prevents damage. So if they ever get damaged, oil won't leak out because as soon as it hits the air, it will self-heal. So that's really interesting. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong. I assume that actually that's not the only one, that there's lots of other interesting ideas like that, that you sort of go, wow, that's, it almost sounds like magic but might not have seen the light of day if you hadn't had the partnership. And we have another company. It's a really lovely family-run company, and they have worked for many years developing a particular technology that the guys can put on the cables that will allow them to manage voltage because one of the challenges for the industry is to optimise the amount of power they can put down the cables now because of the energy transition and the move to electrification or more electrification. We need to optimized capacity so this particular technology is being trialed um which will allow them to really maximize the existing assets that are out there the dad was the engineer then the mum supports it the daughter also does the marketing it's a real family affair but very very professional outfit but again that willingness of the industry to put that support in and then pull that through so as ever there's always a lot more to be done mm-hmm and what would you say the strategy for the EIC is? Our strategy is to continue to make the greatest impact that we can. So our plan is to support the industry in going further, faster, with less. Having come from a big corporate organisation, we had lots of five-year strategies. And I loved strategy. I love you know, Blue Skies thinking, where we're going in direction. <laughs> Doing a startup. We used to call it an emergent strategy <laughs> because it would change. So you've got a plan, and that's the idea about the purpose of where you're trying to get to. And then, quite frankly, the strategy can change from day to day and week to week. And actually, as time's gone on, the time is longer. So you're right now, we are like three to five years, which for small business is good. Whereas for a big business, it would be probably maybe more five to seven so, yeah, so it was a very much an emergent strategy for a long time. And I'm now pleased to say we're in the three-year space, three to five years. What we have now is we have, with the energy systems transition and everything that's going on in this sector, we have got a challenge around resources in terms of the need for the expert skills that are already there and the pace. So 
Historically, this industry has been very risk averse because its main challenge is to keep the lights on and keep the gas flowing and in a safe way. And now we're saying, right, we need to innovate at greater speed. So it means that we've got to be challenged around keeping it safe, but doing it faster. So every aspect of the industry has been challenged to change. And what we need to do is make sure that the innovator community that they need to support them in that change is there when they need it. So, for instance, we've seen great growth in uh, companies that are dealing with AI. I appreciate that's very controversial at the moment, but AI, machine learning. And another area where the industry hasn't historically worked but is now focusing is around vulnerable consumers. So one of the areas we are working within is how the industry can support people who find themselves in vulnerable situations, particularly now where we're talking about um, back into the, the energy transition. So historically, that might have been somebody who was on a dialysis machine at home, who if there was a power outage, how would they keep the machinery going? So that's historically what they would have looked to support. And now, of course, we're looking at people who might live in communities that will be impacted by the transition. So people who will potentially have infrastructure that needs to be built in the bottom of the garden and how will that impact them? And then older people as uh, digitization becomes more prevalent in how we operate, how we don't leave these people behind as we start to digitize the system. So consumer vulnerability comes in so many guises now and the industry is charged with now addressing how they ensure we do this energy transition without leaving anybody behind. So that's a key area of innovation for the industry. So it sounds like a lot of the innovators you used to have were maybe more hard sciences, chemistry, mechanical engineering, electronics, but it sounds like you're having to now grapple with some of the softer sciences, psychology, sociology, all those sorts of things. I mean, so how are you drawing those people in? Because it seems to me sometimes they don't necessarily think of themselves as innovators in quite the same way that, you know, an engineer who's come up with a, a better technology. How are you bringing them in? It's a very good point. And that's the challenge you see, Belden, is, is um, the industry historically was very internally referenced. So it used to work everything out for itself because they had great engineers. Now the challenge over the last 15 years is to be opening up. And how do people outside of the sector understand how their innovation, whether it be around supporting vulnerable consumers, AI, or asset management, how do they bring it to the industry? And who do you talk to? One of the biggest challenges for innovators is talking to the right people. And so our job is to actually help them navigate and get them to the right people in our community. So for instance, if we have a a challenge or an innovation need that's identified by the industry, we do a call to innovators. It's not a passive thing we do. There's a lot of active management that goes on behind it. So we make sure we do desktop research to make sure we've got the right companies in. And we'll start to look at those networks where those innovators may well be. And so we will push out to try and pull as many people in. We're an open portal. So people can bring ideas to us at any time. And we can help work out with them whether that's going to fit for the industry because we've got understanding of how the industry operates because we have engineers in the team. Where the most success is where we have calls, where the industry is saying this is what we need and invariably we've honed the skill really about how we make a call relevant to a smaller business. So how much information you need to give. They tend to be between 80 and 100% successful, those calls. Um, We've got a great company we're working with at the moment. It's a, a retired GP and her partner 
who have developed something called the Carents Room. That's for people who are looking after and caring for parents. So that's why it's called Carents. And it's a really amazing website with information and pertinent and timely information helping a carent. So it is a child looking after a parent, take them through the journey of what's available, what might happen. So say if somebody's got dementia, what the stages are, what where they come next, what the help that's out there. Now you'd say why are we as an energy sector supporting them in the development of their but again a lot of people we would want to reach as an industry to get onto the PSR register, so sorry to prioritizes register will be those very people who are receiving the support from the carents. So the industry is now investing in Jackie and the carents room for her to develop her product. Yeah, yeah, you know, I can see that. That's really interesting. As you think about the journey you've been on, both to sort of develop the purpose and get it written down and get everybody to kind of agree to it and say, yeah, that's it. But also as you've been thinking about your strategy and i'm sure it always changes a bit along that journey what surprised you the most probably the pace pace of change because i'm naturally a very impatient person (laughs) so so pace being too slow yeah too slow everything is too slow and me understanding it's going to take a lot longer than i would have anticipated I remember when I first started, my children were um, nine and ten, and I was working, you know, startups, so I was working long hours. And I remember saying to them, uh, guys, it'll be fine after Easter. And they laugh now, 15 years later, saying, but you never said which Easter. <laughs> it did require in the early days, as anybody knows with a startup, but that's my biggest surprise, Belden. I didn't know, doing a startup business, that I would become it. And it would become me. I didn't actually know that was the thing, that was the deal. For you personally, what's been the most difficult bit of it? I think about understanding different people's motivations. Because I believed, probably naively, you know, about the right thing to do. And I absolutely believed in what we were doing in terms of collaboration and what was the right thing to do. And that it was about the business drivers of the different companies being different and about how you achieved alignment. So I suppose I thought if we could demonstrate commercially it was cheaper, better, better outcomes, things that from a commercial point of view, it would just happen. My biggest learning was that my clear commercial driver wasn't actually enough. Mm-hmm. What advice might you give to a you know, business leader who is wrestling with their own organization's purpose and how to connect it with their strategy? I would say they need to find it for themselves first before they then share it. Because whatever happens, the leader has to absolutely believe in what they're doing, believe in the why that they're doing it. You can tweak it a little bit with other people, but it's got to be your belief about what you're driving. And then that belief has got to then resonate with other people who work with you. So... It can't be all about you. It has to be a far more altruistic purpose, really, because you are employing so many different people and they will come with very different values and very different views. But we have to have something that galvanises people, a beacon, really, a defining point that drives everybody forward. 
particularly now when you see younger people coming through now, different generations, they aren't our generation. They're not my generation. They actually want purpose and they want work-life balance. And we know that. So we have to create businesses that they can believe in. Mm -hmm. What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? What haven't we talked about that maybe we should? I think probably the fact that business is people. Because often people believe that businesses are these constructs that are there. So regardless as to what goes on, they're quite solid, that they're always going to be there. So people can arrive, sit at their seat, do their work or not, and then leave. And then somehow it has no impact. The people make up that, that community and that society, which is that business. We might have tons of processes and systems in place and handbooks and all of these things, which are really important. But they are only the building blocks that guide the people who deliver. And I think sometimes some businesses can look down the wrong end of the telescope. So they're looking at their physical assets and their product as the business, not the people. So if innovation is change and business is people, then it's the people that will deliver the change that you need. It's not the processes, it's not the systems. That's actually quite a hard thing to do because people are complex. So true. So true. Just, just sort of coming back a little bit on something we were talking about, or at least touching on before, are you also finding that that the bigger companies from the industry are looking to you to help them innovate around how they change. They're looking for people who are bringing innovative approaches to change or, you know, they're not thinking about it. They're thinking more about technology when they come to you. They have historically thought about technology when they come to us. I think there's one or two companies that have worked with us around. So one of the CEOs did come in and they could they felt how the EIC felt different. And he said, this is how I want all bits of my business to feel. And so we did work very closely with that company. And it feels a very different company now than it did many years ago. Um, I, in a smaller way, some businesses um, have us working very closely with their innovation teams. And so we coach and train some of their people because in order to get innovation deployed in big companies, it is about navigating navigating the systems and the processes get the right outcome it's, it's quite a different skill set so what we do with with some apprentices and some graduates is they work very closely with us so they are almost imbibed in the same same approach really we have a great team and we are delivering a brilliant product and we're doing the right thing and we're making positive change for the industry and long may it last really very interesting Denise, thank you so much for, for sharing both the journey you've been on, but also the really interesting and I think important, I don't have to tell you it's important stuff that EIC is doing. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Belden. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to Belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist. <laughs>